morning, bonjour à tous, good morning. Great to be here in Berlin. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So I'm a futurist. Many of you may not know what a futurist is. I didn't know what a futurist was until I became one, which is the best way to go about it. So as a futurist, I, my job is not to predict the future, but to observe, to take a look and help my clients figure out what the next five to seven years are. You know, you had futurists like Alvin Toffler or Arthur C. Clarke, maybe Ray Kurzweil. They have a talent to predict. You know, I really focus on the more obvious things. So I want to start by saying a simple thing. This is the headline of my, my latest book. Humanity will change more in the next 20 years than the previous 300 years. Think about the uh, previous 300 years. Industrial Revolution, World War II, nuclear energy, the Internet. But the next 20 years, much more than that. Brain-computer interfaces, of course, the cloud, cloud computing, quantum computing. Right? We're talking about inventions that will change us. When you take this very popular device, you know, our smartphone, this is essentially our external brain. It's our second brain. Right? And for some of our kids, it's the second brain, uh, the first brain, right? It's, it's the only brain they use. But, but think about this in the next couple of years. This is going to be augmented reality, virtual reality, brain-computer interface. Technology will go inside of us. And this is also a very scary thought. I mean, you have the first experimentations with nanotechnology and nanobots in our bloodstream. So we are going to change more than anything else around us. And I think it's quite safe to say science fiction is becoming science fact. You know, I'm not a scientist, so I can't really keep up with that discussion, but just as an example, 3D printing. We talked about 3D printing for 30 years. It's finally here. This company called Weisun in China, they built this house in four days, and they print the, the outside and the inside in four days. Right? I mean, this is basically happening right here today. I wonder very soon they're also going to print the people that go inside the house, right? Uh, that will be the next step. And then you have robots that do gardening. That's uh, basically becoming vertical farming. You have artificial meat being developed. This is not artificial in the sense of actual fake. It's real meat in the lab. Richard Branson and Bill Gates are investors. They're saying that roughly in 10 years, this kind of meat, which is real meat you know, from cells, will cost one-tenth of actual meat. Today, one, uh, one kilo of this meat is $2,000. I tasted it the other day. It was quite nice, in fact. Uh, but, you know, that's already here. You have the latest Mercedes-Benz van. Looks like a Blade Runner machine, right? Drones on the top, robots inside. You have robots that speak to people, like Sophia. Now, in Japan, you have the first politician who says that if he gets elected, he'll have a robot run the government. That's his election promise. I think we already have a robot running a government. You can figure out where exactly that is, but uh, he didn't announce it. <laughs> and here in China, you know, we have technology that's face recognition. It's being used today. If you cross the street at a red light, it will identify who you are and send you an email with a ticket. Right? Talking about, you know, maybe borderline technology. But this is my favorite science fiction science fact. In Japan, 1.5 million people have robot pets, like dogs and, you know, cats, and they put funerals for the dogs and the cats, right? So, so if the robot dies, they actually have a burial. Well, that's, 
I'm not sure we would do that here in Germany, but <laughs> it's happening everywhere around the world. So eight game changers. And Sigfox, of course, is involved with all of these. Big data, the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, blockchain, 3D printing. And basically what's happening, because all these things, you know, we have things that are cutting edge, like, for example, virtual reality. And I'm a little bit worried about virtual reality. If that becomes as normal as using the mobile phone, you know, maybe we'll be falling into the virtual hole. Uh, you know, people have the mobile phone and they walk down the city and they're walking like this, right? And they're falling into a fountain. Imagine what would happen if we had virtual reality where that would go. That could possibly be quite disconcerting. So, the bottom line is, you know, having those kind of things, we're seeing big business model changes. Here's the first subscription. Spotify for the car, I call it. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Lyft. Lyft now has a subscription in some US cities, $250 a month, unlimited rides. I'm talking about the future of mobility. It's becoming possible because of technology. Now you have Mercedes-Benz offering a subscription to their cars where you can go and swap them called Flex. You have uh, Airbnb experiences where you can buy experiences in different cities. And of course, you have the Internet of Things and augmented reality. So the next 10 years, mind-boggling progress and also challenges. I mean, this is not all going to be without a upheaval, right? There's many things that we can think about that it will do. But bottom line is this. You've heard this many times before, I hope. Right? Data is, in fact, the new oil. Data is the currency of the world. The most important currency today is not oil, gas, banking, nuclear, whatever, weapons, even though it can be weaponized as well. Uh, data is the new oil. Artificial intelligence is the new electricity, the new power. And the Internet of Things is the new nervous system. You take those three things together, McKinsey says $62 trillion worth of revenue shift. But imagine, of course, what, also, what it will do also, right? It will completely change unemployment. Uh, I mean, employment. <laughs> it will lead to a lot of people losing their work because of this, and many others receiving more work. But it's a huge societal shift. In many ways, you could say, hey, you know, maybe we're becoming superhuman. I sometimes jokingly, not in the US, but you know, I live in Switzerland where you can say these things, becoming like God. Right? We have superpower. Do you remember that scene from uh, Minority Report, right? where you dive inside the data? Like this, but I really think it could be heaven or it could be hell. Sorry for the placement of the, of the lights exactly where it should be, but if we monitor everything, all the time, anywhere, it could be fantastic. Logistics, right? Saving money, energy. But imagine what would happen if, if that goes wrong. Imagine if the Internet of Things and smart cities become a reality and all of our data is online, right? Our mobile data, our transport data, our smart home, our car. Who's going to be responsible? It's not enough to just make it work. To make it work is, is important, right? But what happens when it does work? I mean, look at Facebook, right? I'll talk more about Facebook shortly, but now that it's finally working as designed, it's become a problem. And I think this is important to realize what happens. You know, we are sort of in a vortex. Well, the world is spinning at very high pace. I mean, $60 trillion worth of new money, that seems very attractive to people. 
And look at the stats. Who's leading in this market? These are the top firms, according to Mary Meeker, Kleiner Perkins. The top four companies on this food chain here, they make more money than the GDP of France. So these four companies could buy France. Well, just kidding, you know, they wouldn't, obviously. But <laughs> think about this for a second. Do you really think that these companies will go on unregulated? They have more power than ExxonMobil or any bank ever had. So we're going to see a lot of discussion about what happens with those companies because the money is huge. Right? I mean, 14.4 trillion just from the IoT. That's why you're here, right? I mean, for, for tech people, you guys are mostly tech audience, right? This is really powerful stuff because clearly it's, you know, if this works, you know, the world will be a different place. Artificial intelligence and other $15 trillion of new money. <laughs> so I think it's quite certain to say this is a gold rush, right? It's a gold rush. AI, big data, cloud computing, Internet of Things, quantum computing. Ten years from now, the world will be such a different place, it will be hard to recognize it. In 20 years, that's science fiction. In 20 years, unlimited technological firepower. We're looking at a world that will be so dramatically connected that, that we may be the last people actually that remember what it means to be offline. I mean, think about this for a second. Your kids, let's say your kids are average 15, 20 years old, right? They kind of know what offline means, but in 20 years, offline is like a mental state. And everything will be connected. I mean, Cisco says roughly 800 billion devices in five years. I think that's a complete understatement, <laughs> as we can see earlier. I mean, connectivity, uh, here's the thing. As we connect everything, we have to include the externalities of connecting things. You know, in the oil business, you call the externalities pollution, right? CO2, global warming. Right? I mean, it's interesting to see that you know, the climate report just came out. And whether they believe in climate change or not, I mean, of course, we here in Europe, I think most people believe in that. <laughs> the externalities of doing things are important. I mean, if we connect the world, what are the consequences? Security, safety, ethics, understanding, control. Can we just kind of leave this for later? You know, Bertolt Brecht, the German poet, once said that uh, basically it's the mindset often is, you know, we have dinner first and morals later. I think it's a bit late for that, because we've had a lot of dinner already. I think we're moving into a future that will look quite different. Imagine the Internet of Things working as advertised, bringing in all of the data. And I think it's entirely possible we'll see that in five years. Yeah, we may go, sorry, we may go from sensors, sensor networks, to sensors in the sense of leaving out things that would be important. I mean, imagine what happens on Facebook. Right? 40% of people read their news on Facebook, but is Facebook actual news? Facebook is an algorithm. It tells you whatever will make you stay the longest. That seems hardly like news. I imagine if that happens with the Internet of Things. Imagine a situation where these trends that I point out as the mega shifts, when they really get going. You know, for the last five years, I talked to many, many companies around the world about what they call digital transformation. I make a joke about this and say, whatever you don't know, what you want to do, you call digital transformation. Because, you know, it's, it's like a suitcase word. But really, it's like 10 different things. 
and they're all moving. It's datafication, robotization, augmentation. They all end with Asian, so it's, uh, it's an interesting analogy. But I have a website called megashifts.com where you can see this. But this will really impact our society and our culture, not just our financial bottom line or R&D, our engineering. So zooming into that a little bit, let's look at this. For example, you all know about self-driving cars and autonomous cars. But basically, we have data coming together with cognification, making things smart, with robots, and so on. And this presents both an opportunity but also a responsibility. You know, the biggest challenge in the self-driving car is not if they work or not, is that humans think that it's actually doing everything. The accidents that happen with a self-driving car is not because of the car, it's because the humans are thinking, okay, I can, I can be like Robocop, you know, I can just sit in the car and uh, the car will take care of it. But it's not that far along. Right? It is not actually like a human. We have that used in production facilities, manufacturing. I mean, basically in 10 years, there'll be very, very few people left in production, which is great for, you know, the, of course, for the, for the margin, the financial gain, but what happens to all the people? On the other hand, you know, Amazon is the king of production, manufacturing, and of course e-commerce. They hired 175,000 people last year. So I'm not that optimistic when it's about work, uh, but we have to think about what it means and where we're going with this. Something I'm more pessimistic about, this is China. It's a, 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 an app called Sense Video. They basically track every single person at the intersection the cars, the pedestrians, the bicyclists, right? And they can identify people individually. Not that we don't do that here, we do, but not like this. <laughs> this is every person, every person. So technology can be used for good things or for bad things. You know, how do we identify this? And where do we go with this? Yeah. We are essentially, with the Internet of Things, building a new intelligence. Think of your nervous system which is highly complex, and we don't really know how that works yet. Now we're building it with tech. And that's what we're doing with AI and the Internet of Things. So I have a couple of questions here. Who is responsible for security? Who is responsible for data protection, for privacy, for digital rights, for sustainability, for governance, for accountability, regulation, trust, and most importantly, this small word, right? Ethics. Who's responsible for that? Any of you, of you in this room feel that they are responsible for this? I mean, if you're engineers or scientists or building things, you usually don't really worry about that too much. Somebody else will take care of it. That we can no longer do. Because right? now we're building really powerful stuff here. Artificial intelligence combined with the Internet of Things, Elon Musk says AI has the capacity of destruction as nuclear bombs. I think that's a bit far away you know, in terms of the realization of this. Well, we had to think about this. Where is it going? I will play a short video. This is Steve, uh, no, sorry, not Steve Jobs. That was a while ago. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. He spoke yesterday in Brussels. And he spoke about how technology companies have to be responsible for the future and for data. So I hope this comes across. We'll give it a we shot. You shouldn't sugarcoat the consequences. This is surveillance. 
And these stockpiles of personal data serve only to enrich the companies that collect them. This should make us very uncomfortable. It should unsettle us. And it illustrates the importance of our shared work and the challenges still ahead of us. I don't know if you can understand. I certainly can't. But his very first sentence, he says, uncontrolled use of data is surveillance. I mean, we certainly have some very good examples here, right? Facebook is essentially an artificial intelligence that is based on surveillance. It used to be different, but clearly that's what we have now. So what he is saying that we have to be careful about taking the intersection and thinking about this, because in the end, it's all about this. Elephants, no, just kidding. Trust. Trust. As a, as, a, as a consumer, as a user, we're lying at the foot of an elephant. We're relying on that to work and to be responsible. If people are going to use the Internet of Things, if they're going to actually engage and share their data, they're going to trust somebody. That's the key question. And who is that? Who would you trust with your data? I mean, think of the future not like today, where we're using the mobile phone and we have to trust people with that. In the future, we're going to use digital banking, digital money, the blockchain, healthcare records in the cloud, the smart city, the smart car, everything. This is like, you know, exponentially further along. So the exponential curve is what's creating all these things. And uh, this Ruby Cube kind of shows all the tech that's combined in there, all of the different things that are meeting up. And that's why I say the next 10 years, we're going to make leaps here. IBM, Microsoft, and others are inventing the quantum computer. A million times computing power. A quantum computer could make this phone do my DNA, my genetics, in 10 seconds. I prick my finger, 10 seconds later, I have my DNA. So when you're next time when you're dating, you can check your DNA while you're on the date to see if there's a good match or find out something about what you want to know. So we're going in this world from today, which is largely about these two things. You know, we're sitting here talking about technology. It's about if it works and how it works and how much it costs. That's what we're talking about today. In five to seven years, maybe 10, this is the only question left. Why are we doing this? And who can be trusted? That's less than 10 years away. Because technology will have pretty much infinite firepower. I'm not joking when I say this. You know, we're looking at the exponential scale on this. You know, just going up a few steps, you end up 40x, 30 times up the scale, it's 1 billion. Of course, not everything is going to grow exponential. Right? We're looking at a future that is vastly different than today. Bottom line really is this. The future is not an extension of the present. It's whatever you're working on today, whatever we've done today, but the future is dramatically different. If you're in the car industry, the future of the car is not to have a car. It's called mobility. Car sharing, electric cars, autonomous vehicles, the future of the music business is not to have music, it's to access music. And Spotify gives you access to 21 million songs for 10 euros. You know, it used to be 20 euros for one CD. Right? The future of banking is not to have a bank, you know, a building. 
is but to have connectivity. So this is really a big challenge for us. I think ultimately we're moving into a world where this is the new normal. People and technology converging. You know, if we use this, we're already very dependent on our smartphone. You have your phone numbers in here, you have all the information, you have your maps. But you know, if you're out of battery, you can still live, most of us. But if this thing has a million times the computing capacity, and I decide everything I do is based on what I get here or, you know, here on my interface, am I still human? So I'm going to think about this because it's not that far away because we're moving into a world where that becomes the new normal. So here's the key question, the key challenge. Again, you can't see it because of the beautifully placed lamps here, but technology has no ethics. Let's not pretend that technology cares. I mean, technology is code, right? Why would it care? I mean, if the job of a machine is to turn all of us into paper clips, it would do it if it could. Right? Technology does not know about values, morals, ideas, concepts, love, emotion. Basically, you could say that technology does not care about 95% of what we are. Because, you know, uh, no matter how we think about technology, we are still different than technology. Yeah. We function on completely different ways. Some people are saying that humans are just fancy data, right? technology. We could discuss that. It would take a little bit longer. But I think we have to think about what that means. One guy just uh, once determined what ethics is, and uh, Potter Stewart was a Supreme Court judge. He said it's the difference between what they have a right or the power to do and what is the right thing to do. Now today, again, we're sitting here and we're saying, Are we, do we have the power to do something really complex with the Internet of Things? Yeah, kind of. In five years, we have every power you can possibly imagine. 20 years, superpower. Artificial general intelligence. So what is digital ethics? It's a difference between doing what technology does and what it affords us and putting human happiness first. I know this may strike us as a strange concept because how do you sell human happiness? <laughs> and what is human happiness? That's really hard to define. It's different for everyone. But a bottom line I'll define shortly. But you know, on this transition where we're going from using a mobile phone to using wearable computing to connecting and then the brain-computer interface, when we do this, right? what Elon Musk calls the neural lace. Can we still function without it? That is the ultimate test of whether we are still human. Can you exist without technology? I'm not talking about pills or pharmaceutical things. I'm talking about, you know, in our daily attitude and in our thinking. Again, great example is Facebook. Facebook is essentially gunning at democracy. Okay. You know why that's happening? Because Facebook is a really powerful, innovative company that's using technology to replace humans. There aren't any journalists that there are maybe four or so at Facebook. <laughs> it's an algorithm. It's an AI. Every picture you upload to Facebook is used, is put together with the face recognition software 
to recognize if you're sad or, or happy or tired. Right? It's keeping all the information. And when it didn't work so well five years, it didn't matter. But today, I mean, 2.5 billion people use Facebook. It's the biggest country in the world. Mark Zuckerberg is the most powerful person in the world, apart from the real presidents. You know, he runs the country of Facebook. 40% of American kids get their news only on Facebook. And 70% of internet users in India think that the internet is Facebook. Talking about responsibility. And to then say that they're not responsible for what they are, that strikes me as a cheap up way out. It's like the American gun lobby, right? The IRA that says, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Well, that is a very cheap excuse. I don't think this is a very healthy business model. Uh, the, model the model of social media is not actually media. Something we have to think about, you know, because that is going in a whole discussion about the future of technology. Because when we do this, and we are doing this, there is no way back to not using the cloud, not using the IoT, not using AI. This is what's happening. Everything that we're doing is moving into the cloud. Everything. It has huge benefits. But here's the thing. The more we connect, the more we have to protect what makes us human. Because what makes us human isn't data. I mean, you may, be, uh, you may be far in the technology business thinking about data. What makes us human is engagement, relationships, and experiences. That's actually not data, if you can believe it. If I meet you later here, it takes an, uh, an average of 0.4 seconds to recognize each other without saying a single word. That's what humans do. 0.4 seconds. That information takes a computer years together. Right? I get in 0.4 seconds from a personal meeting. How do we put the human inside of the Internet of Things? In the last couple of months, this discussion has exploded. What is the good use of technology? If you're in this industry, you've got to think about that. You cannot just say, well, let's make it work. Let's sell the technology. Let's build some really cool stuff. And then we worry about what happens later. That's called the Oppenheimer problem, right? the inventor of the nuclear bomb. He didn't want that bomb to be used. And he only built it because the Germans shouldn't have it first. And we know where it went. We have to think about this because now Gardner, the research firm, says digital ethics is the number one trend for 2019. The most important trend is to think about how we do good technology. Telefonica, a phone company, is launching a thing uh, that's called the, the uh, what is it called again? It's called the Digital Bill of Rights. A phone company. Why would they care? If you want to know more about this, check it out on Twitter using the hashtag digital ethics. So here's the thing. I've been proposing for quite a while that we should have this. We should have not just a digital council for business of technology or R&D or science or engineering, but also for the ethical part. Given that you're on the Internet of Things, this will be a very good thing for you to start with to think about how we can use the technology for collective good. 
So this is a really powerful story. I think your position on this is the number one competitive factor. I bet you money in a few years we'll meet again. The company that can be most trusted, that is the most ethical, that has the most trust in the marketplace wins. Not the company that has the best equipment. Having said that, of course, if you have best, if you have really bad equipment, <laughs> that will not work if you have trust. Uh, that, of course, one goes with the other. So, key question here. Who is mission control for humanity? Who actually controls what we do? Well, you know the answer, right? Silicon Valley is the mission control for humanity. And now China, to some degree. I don't think that will work out very well for us in Europe. We have to think about our own mission control and find a way forward for this. I think every politician and public official needs a driver's license. This is what happens when you spell on the airplane, by the way. Uh, needs a driver's license for the future. Every politician, every public official should know about the future in a test. I think the failure rate will be pretty high today, <laughs> but you know, we can think about where that will be going. Let's talk about thinking machines. You know, everywhere I go, people are saying, okay, so now a machine can do my job. A machine can be a bus driver, a pilot, a dentist. I saw the other day, for, uh, a week ago, there was a first operation putting in an implant with a robot, a tooth implant, right, with a robot. Of course, in Japan. Right? I don't think I would want to have an implant from a robot anytime soon. But this is a big deal. We are finally getting to the point where machines are not programmed, they are learning. Deep learning, machine learning, neural networks, what IBM calls cognitive computing. This is a beautiful name because it makes you think like these machines are alive. There's nothing further from the truth. These machines don't think, they don't have ideas, they're not intelligent, they're not alive, they're not conscious, they're not at all like us, but they're still very powerful. I mean, a machine that can, that can hear you talk, a machine that can speak, a machine that can observe you, that can develop its own ideas, that's a powerful machine. And they don't think in the way that we do. I mean, basically those kind of machines are creating this scenario. If you read Noel Harari's book, he argues that we become essentially useless humans. I mean, if the machine can do the thinking, what the hell do we do? We become useless. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. If the machines can do trillions of numbers and help us be a better doctor or a better lawyer, does it make us useless? It does if, it, if, you, if you're 100%, if you do 100% robot work, you know, monkey work. Right? Like the checkout in the supermarket, open, close. The machine can do that. If you're a doctor or a lawyer, not really. I think we should look at this, you know, and, and be concerned about the people that do have a job, like, say, for example, the call center. Did you know that 22 million people work in call centers? You know what the computer can do first? It can do 98% of what happens in the call center. Take calls, change the ticket, look up the database, because in the call center, you don't get compassion or empathy anyway. Right? It just takes forever. 
computers can do that. So that's basically the future. But on the other hand, anything that can be digitized will be. Right? Every routine, every routine, even programming. There was a great article in, uh, in Wired magazine a couple of years ago about the end of code. Remember that? Hasn't really happened yet. But just because a machine can program an app doesn't mean it's a programmer. I mean, if IBM Watson can read 1.2 million books a minute. So let's imagine for a second you feed IBM Watson all of the books of philosophy. There aren't even that many books on philosophy. But IBM Watson would read it all in a minute. Is IBM Watson then a philosopher? It's read all the books, right? Well, the answer is it's read all the books, but it doesn't make it a philosopher. It takes a little bit more than that. It's useful, but I think the end of the routine is not the end of work. The end of routine just means that we can move on and do other things. If your job is 100% routine, like driving a truck, you're in trouble. Let's not be mistaken about this. We have to figure out how to cover those people. That's why I'm in favor of an automation tax, as Bill Gates has suggested. Nobody likes taxes, right? But would you rather have crime and terrorism than tax? So on the other hand of the equation, we have to think about automation. And McKinsey report says automation is 65% of jobs can be automated, but only 5% can be fully automated. Pilots, drivers, you know, we still have people driving stuff. And 85% of new jobs, says the Dell report, haven't even been invented yet. So it's not utterly hopeless when we talk about automation. <laughs> but think about this for a second. 10 years ago, did we have any social media managers? Now, people who do social media stuff, that job didn't exist. You know how many people are social media in the social media business and in social media management? 32 million. Okay. 10 years later. I think we're going to have new jobs based on technology, but we have to create them. We have to be open. Now, if you have kids, this is the most important slide, because the future is really this. Anything that cannot be automated and not be digitized and not be robotized and virtualized and cognitized, whatever you want to call it, becomes extremely valuable. Anything that machines can't do. And you could say, if you're a scientist or an engineer, you would say, OK, in 50 years, the machines can do this. Maybe you're right, but I don't think we should let them. That's a different discussion. But for the time being, we are here. This is what our kids have to know. Emotional intelligence, creativity, design, negotiation, passion. I mean, it will be at least 30 to 40 years before you find a passionate machine. Remember that movie, Her? Who's seen the movie, Her? Really amazing movie. That's yeah, a great movie. You know what the problem was at the end of the movie? Uh, the machines, uh, Samantha, says to Joe and Phoenix, uh, they're talking about their relationship, and he's saying, well, how many lovers do you have at this very moment? And she says, 3,457. Right? Because she's a machine. She doesn't have a body. So this is our jobs in the future. If you have kids, this is what they should learn. This is the skills of the future. 
The Polanyi paradox says that the more we are unlikely, unlike machines, the better is our future. We know a lot more than we can tell, and we can't automate what we don't understand. This is why you can't automate dating. You can facilitate dating, but automate, that's a different story. This is why you can't automate storytelling. This is why a computer can write a handbook for a refrigerator, but we're not really a good story. Because we have these intelligences, right? We have many intellectual, emotional, social. You know, if you listen to a bunch of speeches on, uh, from the World Economic Forum, Jack Ma from Alibaba said, basically, emotional intelligence is the number one asset for the future. He also said that it's mostly women who have emotional intelligence. It's an interesting angle. Right? And then he says, women are the future because they have EQ. Right? Interesting angle. Bottom line is this. Machines don't, have rela don't do relationships. They don't understand relationships. They don't care. For humans, this is the most important thing that we do. Did you know that the power users of Facebook and other social networks that use it a lot, they have the highest suicide rate in the world? The power users of a social network has the highest suicide rate in the world. The biggest factor of loneliness is the power use of social media. Because there's no real relationships there. Well, there can be, but generally speaking, that is pretty difficult to find. So that's the bottom line for us. You know, and then we we'll go back to data and what, what we're doing with data. Jeff Bezos, the CEO of, of, uh, of Amazon, he says, he used to say, when it comes to really important decisions, data trumps intuition all the time, every time. Last week he said, all of my best decisions in business and life have been made with heart, intuition, and guts, not analysis. Now you can say, which one of the two is true? Well, Jeff is a genius, as I'm sure, well, in many ways he is, right? Well, the answer is both is true. We use data when we can, but we make our decisions based on intuition. We always do. Let's not pretend that's any different. The point in time where computers make all decisions where we don't use our intuition would be extremely dangerous. I think we have to keep humans in the loop because, as I like to say, commerce is driven by data, but meaning is created by humans. There is a difference. We have to think about how we play that out in our lives. When we look at the landscape of artificial intelligence, this is based on a theory by Moravich and also by Max Tegmark, we have already achieved so many things. You see the rising tide of uh, AI down here? Right? It's basically jeopardy, it's human resource, it's debating, it's poker, it's the go game, it's the call center. That's all becoming artificial intelligence already. I mean, this is our daily, this is what happens all around us. You're in that business, so you know. But where's the cutoff? Right now, there's a cutoff where technology isn't going much further. There's a cutoff where it's not working, really. And should we all go beyond that cutoff? That's a key question. Should we have machines be politicians, pass the Winograd test, have it write books, be our partners, buy sex robots? I'm not joking there. This is a big scape of investment there. 
So we are entering towards a world that we really should avoid, and that is the arms race of AI. India, Russia, China, US. Artificial general intelligence, machines fixing themselves. I'm with Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking on this. We should not make that possible. But below that, intelligent assistance, yeah. That strikes me as a really good thing to have, and many of you are working on this. We have to think about where that's going, because this is what's happening in the next 10 to 15 years. We're going to move to a different thinking about the future. That's been called 30 years ago, the triple bottom line, people, planet, prosperity. Oh, it strikes you possibly as pretty far out thought, right? But in the future, we're going to have to balance the outcome of technology to cover all three. This is why the European Commission is pushing for data control. Right? Same topic, because it can't just be about employment and work. So I'll summarize you know, how to do the future. And this is really my favorite part. First, these technologies are everywhere. They are going to they're going to run our lives, they're going to create huge revenues, but the bottom line is we need to put humanity on top of technology and inside of technology. Keep humans in the loop, protect our digital rights, do the things that we have to do to keep data safe. Because imagine a world that's exponentially as far as today, just in 10 years, we're talking about 1,000x. It'll be too late if we think about it then. So this is a really important part of what the future brings for us. And let's remember, secondly, that technology is exponential. We are not. I mean, if you haven't noticed, humans are on this rate of growth. We get older, we learn, we improve. But you know, we're not machines. We have to sleep. We have to think. We make mistakes. We have mysteries, lies, all the funny stuff that machines don't have. Don't compete with machines on computing power. Today we can, but in five years it's game over. Don't let your kids take a job that competes with machines. Because it's over in a couple of years, it's finished. So we have to think about how we work together with machines. And you know, these are two guys that are driving in the Tesla. And see what they are, they are in the middle of a snowstorm, passing a truck and playing patty cake. The biggest problem that we have today is not that technology isn't working, but that we overestimate it. This is a deadly idea. Because right? these machines can do a lot of things, but they don't do that. They're not designed for this. We have to be very careful about using technology too far. This, is, this will be like you know, you're looking to go out in a restaurant in Paris, and you're going to use TripAdvisor. It could be terrible or it could be great. You don't know. TripAdvisor isn't the truth. I mean, what is there such a thing as truth anyway in restaurants, right? It's a matter of taste. So we have to be careful about not making technology govern our lives too much. Also, many of us may be looking to become super smart, like a digital version of ourselves. There's many ways to do that but you know, like augmentation, virtuality, but I think we have to be careful what we wish for. If you want to be superhuman, you would be a machine. You want to be a machine, be my guest. I don't think we should make being a machine the new normal. 
I don't think we should be able to alter our genes to live forever. Even if we could do it, I think after a certain point of time, this would be quite a difficult undertaking. Tim Cook again said yesterday, now more than ever we must, ourselves, must ask ourselves a fundamental question. What kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to be human or do you want to be a machine? That's the key question. Bottom line is this, as I'm sure you know, trust isn't digital, happiness is not a program or a download, and relationships aren't code. That's what happens between us. This does not mean that downloads and apps and code is not amazing. It is, right? But there is a difference to us. And keep that in mind when we're building really powerful relationships. This is what people are made of. The definition of, uh, of happiness by Seligman, positive psychology, positivity, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment. And this is why your customers come to you. They don't come to you because your tech works. If your tech didn't work, they wouldn't come to you at all. But after they come to you, they come to you for this. Trust, relationship, meaning, purpose. So here are the key takeaways, and then I'll get off the stage. First point is, this is what's happening. We're not going to go back and say technology and humanity aren't really converging. That is what's happening. We have to think about it. The eight game changers. That's where everything is going to happen in the next couple of years, further outlined in my book. The mega shifts. Understanding this is the key to the future. Uh, there's a website I run called megashifts.com where you can read more about this. The question of ethics. Let's not go as far as saying we're going to build this and make a business model out of it, roll it out, and then we worry about what else it does. That's what the oil industry did. You see where that took us today. We're going to have each shit for the next 20 years to put up with what happened from this. This curve, right? We have to ask the question, why are we doing this? And who's in charge? Not just how we're doing it. We're going from an engineering mindset to the experience mindset. This is a key fact of the future. The more we connect, the more we need to figure out what makes us human. And sometimes I think of this as like a national park, you know. In the US they had this, uh, the EPA, right before Trump threw it away, the Environmental Protection Agency. I think we need a humanity protection agency that thinks about what should not be automated. Right? Where is the future taking us? I want to finish by a line from my book, embrace technology, but don't become it. That's the future. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.